Want to create memories with your family? Do you have a desire to bring your family closer together? Are vacations lacking that special something you want your family to have? Tropic of Candy Corn is your resource for smarter, sweeter family travel. Learn from other families, be inspired, and encourage others with your weekend getaway and vacation ideas. Tropic of Candy Corn. This isn't a travel sales site. It's something new and different. A community to help bring your family closer through travel. Join us today at www.tropicofcandycorn.com. It's free and it's fun. Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Jeff Burton, welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good, Jeff. Glad to have you on. Uh, I'm sure most of my listeners will know about you and and some of your work, uh, both online and also in uh, in some of the uh, publications that are out there that speak to Mormonism and, and members of the church. But wondered if you might start us off by just giving us a a brief bio about yourself to give uh, my listeners a feel for you. Okay, thank you. You know, I find that I'm not much different than anyone else who may be listening to the, to this podcast. Uh, my story is not that unusual, and I think a lot of people will relate, but. Maybe a little bit different is that from a very young age, I was always quite a kind of skeptical, not just of the church, but everything. I had to know how things worked, how they were explained, why they were the way they were, and so forth. Uh, sometimes my parents got very exacerbated uh, with me with, you know, why do you ask, always have to ask so many questions, Jeff? And um, But, you know, so I never, uh, I was, uh, you know, kind of a skeptic from a, from a young age. But that's not so unusual, and I, I would mention this. You know, in my, when I was growing up, it wasn't that unusual for, and we could t- be open about it, but not ask one of our instructors, well, how come I don't have a testimony? Oh, you'll get it. Don't worry. It comes later. When you go on your mission, you'll you, you'll have it by then, that kind of thing. But um, I was thoroughly involved with the church. My family was active. I had good friends in the church. And, um, as for me personally, I'm uh, uh, you know I'm a father and a grandfather. Uh, my education is engineering. Uh, I went to the University of Utah and I also went to the University of Michigan for my graduate work. I've been in most callings uh, in the church. I've you know, been through a lot of things. I've been on the High State High Council and I've been counselors in two different bishoprics. I was a, a branch president at one time. I've been on two missions. Uh, one is in my 20s uh, to Japan, and another one uh, a few years back uh, as a service missionary downtown at church headquarters. So, um, you know, it's pretty typical uh, for somebody in my age. I'm nearing retirement or partially retired, and uh, I've also been involved with Sunstone for the last uh, 15 years or so, uh, both on the board of directors of Sunstone and, and as a columnist. So that gives you a little bit of information about me. Wonderful. So we know, Jeff, you're the author of the book For Those Who Wonder, 
And maybe just a, a little side point for my listeners. If, uh, if any of you out there, you know, want to check out uh, Jeff's book, it's incredible. We'll get into where we can find that and, and what the details of it are about. But essentially the book for me, having looked it over, really hits on, uh, those of us who, who struggle with questions, who wonder, if if we have to know to be a member of the church and be faithful and and really speaks to uh, the heart of uh, of those who are going through a faith transition jeff what uh, what was the impetus for for writing that book what uh, what pushed you to sit down and and begin to put that down on paper okay a pretty straightforward story like i say from an early age i've always been open with others about my questions and about my lack of a firm knowing testimony and about, you know, my doubts and so forth. And, you know, you know I'll talk, talk more about that later, about how to deal with that, those kind of issues on, in an open, honest way. But, um, you know, I, it, whenever you have to mention to somebody, you know, I have a question about, uh, you know, why did Nephi, why was Nephi commanded to kill Laban? Yeah, I have questions about that. Other people will open up to you and say, well, you know, I've wondered about that myself. And, you know, pretty soon uh, you have uh, somebody opening up to you that, they, that you didn't know about. So over the years, I had met a lot of people like me. Even on my mission, I met members who were willing to tell me that, you know, I don't really have that kind of testimony either. But, uh, uh, you know, so I, I collected stories and because I'm interested in writing and I, I kept histories and I, and so pretty soon by the mid-80s, I had gathered a lot of stories. So I wrote an article called The Phenomenon of the Closet Doubter. I guess it was the first religious piece that I had published in Sunstone. And, you know, I had written some short stories that also talked about the issues of doubting and the problems people have. I had written some essays, you know, how to help others who are struggling with questions and doubts. They got published in a book in, in a few magazines and things. And so I had these things compiled, and I thought, well, I do with these. And I finally decided, well, I'll, I'll put this in the book. And so that was the origin of the book, For Those Who Wonder. Incidentally, you can pick those up. I have a website called forthosewhowonder.com, and, and that can book, book can be downloaded uh, for free uh, for anyone who would like to do that. Awesome. And I, and I know there's lots of other stuff on the website as well, which I hope we'll We'll hit on here a little later. The uh, the book itself, I mean, maybe give us a, a little run through of of what the book tries to hit on and what's the the main emphasis that the book is is trying to make uh, for those who struggle. Okay, good. It's just a, a way of the book is intended for use by those who have made a decision or are thinking about making a decision of staying with the church. Uh, we have people who suddenly they find out something about the church that kind of interrupts their testimony or interrupts their progress or their travels to the church. And uh, and many people, you know, if you've lost your testimony or you have serious questions, but your wife is still a, an active true believer, or if you have a job with BYU, or whatever reason, there are, there are reasons for staying. I just want to stay. I love the church. I, I really like the activity. My friends are here. So it, it gives you, the, the book is intended to help you get through those initial stages and also how to how to stay and, and be happy with it. But it has about 16 chapters. Six of those are fictional chapters. Some people can pick up a message better through, through fiction, and some people prefer essays. So there are 10 essays, but 
for example, uh, the first one has, uh, is entitled Helping Those with Religious Questions and Doubts. It's mainly written for those who are helping others, but you, of course anybody can use those, the tips here and there. And I have a chapter dealing with you know, the differences between faith and belief and defining these terms, which is sometimes a difficult thing. And some people overlap the terms belief and faith and others don't, so they get confused in, in talking to each other. And there's also uh, an essay in there that talks about what all the great thinkers have said about faith and belief, Joseph Smith, Orson Pratt, uh, and, and others uh, who are outside the church. And there's a, there's a chapter on how to manage your belief. Once you have a loss, you, you, it's just like any other kind of loss. If you've lost your spouse, you're going to go through stages of, of recovery. And it's the same thing. If you've lost your testimony, you'll have to go through these stages of anger and frustration and finally acceptance. And um, there's a chapter dealing with, for example, how to develop a, a compatible religious, personal religious model for yourself that's compatible with the Mormon model for religion. And, um, and there's a chapter in there that helped to, to share with people how to how to be get along with uh, those you know, troublesome church programs or policies that you just can't agree with. And uh, and finally, the last chapter deals with how to be honest about it, how to, how to be honest and open with the other people. This is a difficult issue, at least it hasn't been in the past. I think we're finding it much more easy to do that nowadays with the latest uh, talks from Elder Holland and President Uchtdorf and others who are suggesting, okay, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to tell us you have doubts. Um, and so, anyway, the, the book is intended for those who are trying to stay. Excellent. And and that's obviously the, the hope of this podcast, too, is to help people to to lead with faith in the midst of, of these trials and adversity that come when, when we encounter encounter things within church history or as we begin to think about some of the deeper questions of life and, and things don't seem to add up quite the way we were taught or, or thought they did. I, uh, I know that your book was for some time was carried by Deseret Book and, and knowing some of the background of how Deseret Book chooses which books to carry and which ones not to, I know they play for the most part very conservative, at least they have in the past. Um, what happened that, uh, that you were able to get your book on their shelf and, and the second part of that I want to ask too is how was the book received uh, over time as it as it was carried by them okay thank you um, it is interesting I originally submitted the manuscript to Desert book to see if they'd be willing to publish it sort of a perfunctory thing I didn't think they would and of course they said they couldn't do it but they were sympathetic to it, at least the person the editor that I talked to uh, they suggested I submit the book. Uh, the book, book was published uh, uh, separately, and I submitted a copy of the book to the Desert Book for their approval process. And I hadn't heard anything. It went for months. I don't remember, six or nine months had gone by, and there had been nothing back from them. All of a sudden, I got a call. Uh, Brother Burton, your book has been approved. Uh, we'd like to get copies. And so I said, well, how did that happen? Why did it take so long? And uh, he said, well, I can't give you the details, but... It went to the highest levels for approval. I said, what do you mean the highest levels? I said, the highest levels. <laughs> so apparently it had to go through a, quite a, an extensive program. But, you know, for being in the 1980s, I think it was quite a, a courageous thing on the part of Desert Book and the church to approve a book like that, to go on the shelves right alongside other books written by the apostles and, you know, the, in, on the LDS script, uh, on the LDS shelves. Uh, and it was there for quite a few years. Um, originally, Desiree, but they would call and talk to me about the response. Originally, there were some complaints from members about why is this book being sold. But um, but they were defend they defended it and uh, and they never took it off. Eventually, you know, it got to the point where it got online and so forth. Uh, they decided not to 
carry the book on the shelves themselves. But if anybody wants a copy, you can go to the other book and simply ask for a copy, and they'll contact us, and we'll provide a copy. Did uh, did you ever get feedback regarding whether there was an overwhelming number of positive feedback versus the the negative? You know, I never saw those any kind of statistics like that, but the book did sell well. We went through four printings, and I mean, there are thousands of books went out, and a lot of them went through Desert Book over a 10, 15 year period of time. So they were selling, uh, you know, it was, but I didn't ever see any de- details or data. Gotcha. The, uh, the next thing I want to talk about, we're recording this interview in the midst of, uh, all of the stuff that's going on with, uh, with the ordained women, uh, the disciplinary council for Kate Kelly, the, uh, the issues with, uh, with John DeLynn being called in with Rock Waterman, Denver Snuffer. And, and I don't want to touch necessarily on the specifics of those. I, I, I realize that there's just a lot of tension at, at the moment within Mormonism, but I do want to ask you this. In the midst of all of this going on, it feels like to me, that there are two extremes who seem to almost be talking past each other. And, and I can sense that a lot of feelings are being hurt. And in the midst of that, a lot of people who are worried about what that means for the future, for them within the church. Uh, I just want to ask you, Jeff, uh, kind of being someone who, as you put it, navigates there on the borderlands, uh, what are your thoughts on all that's going on and, and maybe what that should mean uh, for, for members of the church who, who have deep questions? Uh, yes, it has been a bit troubling, uh, the news recently, and uh, you're, those of you who are listening to this podcast should realize that we're uh, recording this at a time when things haven't been decided, although just yesterday um, we saw in the newspaper that uh, Kate Kelly had been excommunicated. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with John DeLynn, so uh, you know, this may be old news by the time you're hearing this, but... Um, uh, I, I do think it, uh, it it hurts the image of the church a little bit uh, to have this out in the news. It, it also can be polarizing if we let it be, and I'm hoping that that, uh, that we're not going to have that happen. Um, you know, it's it's not unusual for a, a person to be called in to be questioned and be admonished about things that they've said or do. Uh, over the years, I've been called in twice myself. It's you know, it's about something I'd written, and um, in both cases, I asked point blank, "Did you receive any information, any information from anyone else downtown or any other place to call me?" And of course, the the answer in both cases was yes. Uh, we got a call from downtown and asked to check in with you. And what 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 do you mean by this? And are you still a faithful member of the church and so forth? But uh, you know, I didn't contact the press or anything about it. I mean, it was between me and the state president, and uh, and you know, we were able to work things out and perhaps where everybody could be. But you know, these things are happening all the time. To make the news is pretty unusual. I think both parties have elected to let it be known that this is happening to them. So it puts kind of a challenge up. But I. Do I do think that we have to realize, and those of us who are on the borders of, of the uh, of church main orthodox true believers, um, that um, you know, those of us who are trying to be faithful but uh, but have issues and have questions, have doubts, uh, that we have to recognize that if we tr- if we pass, if we go beyond a certain border, if we go beyond a certain boundary, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. Now, I don't know. What happened with Chandelin? He's a good friend of mine. He even helped me put together my own website, and uh, he and I bolstered on the Sunstone Board of Directors together. So I know him quite well, and we consider him a good friend. But um, you know, if you there's four categories of things that you do that you're going to get yourself in trouble. One is if you challenge authority. That's one. Another one if you if you preach false doctrine, you're going to be in trouble. 
if you don't obey the commandments, if you're a sinner, uh, you're going to be in trouble. And uh, if you destroy other people's testimonies, then that also could land you in a uh, disciplinary hearing, so um, or a disciplinary council. Now, we've seen, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just, uh, because it, 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 this does apply to it, uh, the bishop, uh, Kate Kelly's bishop, gave her uh, reasons that she is being uh, excommunicated. They all relate to those four issues. She would have to stop teachings and, and actions that undermine the church and its leaders and, under, and, and, and the doctrine of the priesthood. I mean, here we are talking about preaching um, false doctrines and so forth. So, and unfortunately, they also indicate that um, you must be truthful in your communications with others regarding matters that involve the priesthood or priesthood leaders. So, in a way, they're implying that somehow she's been dishonest and been sinful. So, uh, I don't know what the situation is, and we can't judge. But um, you know, if we if we read between the lines, we can see that she may, at least in the bishop, her bishop's mind, she has crossed the line. I don't know about John Dillon. I'm hoping and praying that that they're not going to come to that conclusion for him because, like me, as far as I can tell, we're just trying to be helpful. And uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's just something that we have to be careful about. Yeah, I know. In the in the midst of talking about those issues, let's kind of hit on this maybe at large. There are Latter Day Saints who are trying to carve a place for them themselves in Mormonism. They want they want to be in the church, but they also can't be genuine and remain completely quiet or silent about about some of the things that they're struggling with they they feel a need to to at least be able to be themselves in the midst of of being at church meetings and being around other members of the church um maybe your thoughts on how you've you've carved yourself out of place where you're able to one acknowledge that uh, that you have questions that there are doubts that there are things you wonder about and think about, that the church does have some some difficult issues, but at the same time, be completely within the church, be faithful, be someone who is who is helping others rather than diminishing faith. Um, how have you done that? Well, um, I think there are some key issues here, and that one one is to just be judicious and and careful about what you say. Um, to others, and how you say it is important, when you say it is important. I think the if we look 20 years back, um, even in some people's minds, the idea of questioning uh, policy or questioning doctrine, questioning uh, issues, or questioning your understandings of the gospel would be considered uh, out of place. Uh, you know, but th- those 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 bounds boundaries have expanded, and I think the recent talks and conference by Elder Holland and President Uchtdorf have opened the gates for us to be more open and honest with people. But we have to be judicious and tactful in our honesty. If our honesty is going to disturb someone else or destroy their testimony, then we have to be judicious in how we approach it and how we how we talk about it and how we get up to people. But I think people who are who are trying to to carve out a place for themselves and be comfortable. Uh, if they follow certain principles, uh, they're going to be successful. And I, I would suggest they look at uh, a couple of chapters in my book. There's one on how to manage your loss of belief so that you don't hurt others. And there's a chapter in there on how to develop a model for your religion, your own personal religion, which which will be compatible with Mormon religion. Other people will be threatened by it or offended by it. Uh, we all have a personal religion. Most of us in the church have a personal religion that's based on the, on the LDS model. It's, you know, how many times you attend church, or having a temple recommend, paying your tithing and fast offers, uh, and so forth and so on. And so 
but um, if we want to remain on, in the, on the, within the acceptable group, on, even in the, on or in the borderlands of the church, um, we have to develop a model for ourselves, which we feel comfortable with, but other people will feel comfortable with. And I, you know, I would suggest people go to those, go to go to my book. You can get it down for free from my website and take a look at it. It might be helpful to you. I appreciate that, and it reminds me. This is a, a point I hit on pretty hard, and I've done that several times uh, throughout the episodes of the podcast. Where a lot of people feel like, hey, you know, we need to be completely forthright and talk about everything. And and at first, that sounds, you know, if we're going to value truth, that sounds appealing. But in reality, that's really not functional, and it's really not the best thing in most situations. And I always use the example of, you know, when you go on your first date. Uh, do you, do you sit there with the young lady and list every flaw that you have and tell her every problem you've got and every, every, you know, weakness that you, that you have and, and everything you do wrong and just name those out for her so that she's aware of all of your imperfections? And, and the answer obviously is no. If you did that, nobody would get fat or past the first date. And, and I think we just have to sit back and realize that to throw all issues, problems, concerns, trouble at somebody all at once, is while it may seem on the surface to value truth and reality, it's it's not the right approach and it's not helpful and it's it's just not the right thing to do. And uh, and I have had this kind of happen a little bit in my own word as you talk about being open but also choosing when to talk. We just had a ward council last week and uh, I brought up the idea to our ward council of doing a fireside and doing the fireside on how to help members, teachers, leaders. Essentially, when they're talking about different, you know, points in the gospel, food storage, um, family history work, that they try to take on the viewpoint that investigators or new members have and realize that if we don't tie things back into the Savior, that, uh, that we sometimes are going to be pushing people away rather than wrapping our arms around them and bringing them in. If you sat in for, for a sacrament meeting and the only time you heard the Savior was for the two sacrament prayers, and no other mention about him or his atonement, that's kind of off-putting. And yet we do that a lot in our church at times. And so I brought up this idea about having this fireside in focusing on Christ. And another member of the ward council who who knows me well enough raised his hand and said, Bill, you've got a great idea. I love it. But my concern would be is that those who need to hear it are going to tune you out. Can we take your ideas and find somebody else who could implement those, who would be seen as as more more towards the middle of, of orthodoxy. And, and I wasn't offended by that at all. I think it points to your whole idea of talking about this, this concept of, of being willing to acknowledge that there are time and a place for you to speak up. There's a time and a place for you to share more and more of yourself, but to just run in one Sunday and say, okay, I'm going to be completely honest with everybody and just go up in a, in a ball of flames doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? No, it doesn't. I agree with you 100%. I, uh, I look at Mormonism, Jeff, and I and I see two things happening in the midst of these these four individuals who have concerns with disciplinary action either having happened or coming uh, in some shape or form in the sense of at least having a disciplinary council or, or it being talked about. There's many within within the membership of the church who are concerned that the church as a whole is entrenching and pulling back the line of wherever that line is. And yet, in the midst of what you and I are talking about, there's Elder Holland and Elder Uchtdorf, uh, Elder Christofferson and, and Elder Anderson, and others who, on different occasions, are, are speaking about how we need to 
be more flexible with the way we use the word doctrine, how the church has made mistakes, how belief and having questions and doubts is is okay, and that leading with belief and, and not knowing is, is acceptable to our Father in Heaven and His Son. So it also seems like there's this openness or an increase in openness to allow those of us who have struggles to to be comfortable in the church. And it seems like there's these two ideas and they're almost coming to a head at the moment. Do you have any inclination in your own thoughts and feelings of, of whether we're making progress or whether we are pulling back uh, by what's going on in the last couple of years? That's, that's a difficult question. Um, I, I don't have any great insights to it, but my belief right now is that uh, these are kind of separate issues. I don't think anybody's changed the criteria for holding a disciplinary council. Uh, those four criteria, dealing with challenging authority and preaching false doctrine and sinning and destroying people's testimonies, I don't believe those have changed. What has changed is the willingness of both the, the member, the leaders, and not so much the members yet, but that will come, is the idea that it's okay to be open with each other about questions that we may have about any issue or any doctrine or any policy related to the gospel. And uh, it's okay to express that you don't have a a knowing testimony. It's okay to indicate that you still have some doubts. Uh, Those, those, to me, haven't changed. I hope they haven't changed. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how this issue with John DeLynn will turn out. That worries me a bit because it turns out that he is shown uh, the door just because he was expressing doubts. That could be trouble. I, I, but I don't think that will happen. I, I, I hope and pray that doesn't happen. But no, I, I don't think we should worry that too much about that. If, if you're if if you're if you're out there crossfighting for a change in the doctrine uh, and you don't go through the normal channels, then I think you're looking for trouble. If you're looking to change policy, policies are policies. They change all the time. Again, I think it's important to go through the normal channels. I think if the ordained women people simply ask the, the uh, our general authorities to Ask the Lord again if it's time now, and they were given a chance to come back and say, we have fasted and prayed, and right now we don't get the indication that this is the time. I think this whole thing could have been blown over and very quickly. Um, but, you know, again, I'm not part of this movement. I don't know exactly what's going on, and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't judge either any anybody on this issue. But I don't think we need to worry. Those of us who are concerned about being open and honest and, and uh, who are struggling with uh, questions and doubts, I don't think we need to worry. Yeah, I think you hit on an important point, which is our approach is sometimes more important than the actual question we have or the concern we have. It's how we go to somebody and how we, whether we're demanding something to happen or whether we're expecting something to happen rather than simply saying, hey, have you thought about this? Is there is there something we can do to help out in this area? And so I, I appreciate that. I know that um, for those who have questions, especially, and you mentioned testimony meeting, for instance, and the wording of I know and, and how we're, it's becoming more comfortable in our church to use other words such as I believe or I have hope or I have faith. And those words are obviously, as you and me both know, those are words are very important. Um in the midst of, of testimony meetings that do still kind of have this cultural edge to them of, of people standing up and saying, uh, saying, I know. And, and yet you and I maybe being one step, you know, shy of that and just having faith or just hoping or having questions and doubts. Yet I know that you consider yourself faithful. I know I consider myself faithful in the church. What does it mean to you to be faithful in the midst of a culture that seems to, to suggest that knowing is the acceptable way? Oh, thanks. That's a, a great question. Um, 
we have to be really careful about how we define our terms. Uh, and this is, a, I've got a chapter in my book dealing with, you know, how to how to define belief, how to define faith, and so forth. Um, you know, we, we have a, uh, we, there's a scripture, DNC 46, 13, 14, which, which I think is a good one for all of us to know, and that is, it says, to some it is given to know that Jesus is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, <laughs> I don't have the scripture right in front of me. To some it is given to know that Jesus is the Christ. To others, it is given to believe on their words, and they shall have eternal life if they continue faithful. Now, that's an important and a very useful scripture for any of us who don't have the knowing testimony. And uh, in the modern sense, you know, those of us who have studied science and engineering, we learned a wor- definitions for the words belief and knowledge based on the significance of the data that you have available to you. And we we tend to look at the uh, you know, the secular kind of data, the kind of data that you can is testable and reproducible. And for other people, uh, you know, knowledge can come through them just having a warm feeling in their bosom, and uh, that's that's enough knowledge for them. That's enough evidence and data for them to know that something is true. And uh, you know, there are you can the word faithful. Are you part of the faithful? That just means somebody who's a member of the church and attending. And there are others who look at faithful meaning, you know, complete complete compliance with uh, with everything. And, you know, because we don't know anything with absolute surety, even, you know, when you have 95% confidence in something being true, there's still a 5% chance that it might not be true. And we have to use faith to bridge that gap, whether it's 5% or 20% or 50%. If, as long as we have a question about any issue, about any doctrine, about any commandment, about any policy, then we have, if we want to go along, if we want to hear, if we want to participate, then we have to be faithful. And so it's just a matter of making a choice. Okay, I'll, I'll be faithful. Okay, I will accept it on faith until I get some better data. Or, you know, in that particular issue, uh, I choose not to go along. You know, normally, uh, you know, there are certain certain leeways we have within the church that we can choose whether or not we will accept something or, or do something, not do something. You don't have to attend every single meeting in order to be considered an act LDS member. The church's official definition at one time was one meeting a month to, to be considered active. Um, I don't know what it is now, but you know, it's in the minds of, of the members too. And so we have the leadership to kind of establish the policies. We have the members who have to uh, implement them and adhere to them. So, for example, Elder Uchtdorf's talk about, uh, you know, if you if you have doubts and questions, come join with us. We need you. It's going to take a while for that to translate down to the members. So I think that we will see in the next two, three, four years a change in the attitude of members about what faithful acts. But again, it's, it's up to each individual to determine what it means to them to be faithful. Yeah, you know, when we talk about the word faith or faithful, it, I do find it interesting that in the church, doctrinally, I mean, I turn to Alma 32 or Hebrews 11.1, 1, and faith is very much spelled out as acting in spite of not having evidence or all the evidence. And Alma 32 contrasts, you know, perfect knowledge with faith as two th- different things on, you know, two opposite sides of the spectrum, that one is to, to act without knowing and the other one is to know perfectly. And, and yet culturally it does seem like we've, we've made faithful to be those who, who know. And I'm, I'm like you. I just hope that as time goes on, as Elder Holland and Elder Uchtdorf's uh, talk, and I'm sure there'll be other talks to come from general authorities that hit on these same issues, that as those things filter down, that we can begin to get back to 
the doctrine of the gospel, which is that faith, as, as Paul puts it, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which not seen, you know, how much greater is it for that guy who acts in spite of not knowing a hundred percent? To me, that that is great and praiseworthy, and something that should be be looked up to and seen as admirable, uh, rather than seen as a weakness or a flaw. That, that's absolutely correct in my mind. And yes, the word faith is a is an active kind of a word. Unfortunately, there's no verb for the word faith. You can't face something. We have to go back to other words like I will believe or something like that. I will have faith. But it does, faith is what allows you to, to move forward and to, to have action. So, yeah, it's an active kind of a thing. I, uh, I'm going to ask a, a black and white question. I know it's not black and white, but it just, it seems to me having, having read your book, having read your articles that we'll talk about here in a moment, uh, about the borderlands and just knowing a little bit about you and, and your story and having listened to you on other, other podcasts, I'm going to ask it kind of in a naive way, and I know it's not necessarily the case, but how have you seemingly navigated staying in the church? And I would put it seamlessly. I know that there's probably been struggles in the past, but it just seems like you've made an active effort to say, you know what, I'm staying in the church. I'm going to, I'm going to hold out hope and belief and faith. And, uh, and these are the things that I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to and I'm going to stay, uh, within the church and be a faithful member of it. In the midst of members leaving the church in, in, you know, as Elder uh, Marlon Jensen put it, I mean, it's happening at a, at a pretty good clip at the moment. People who are, are leaving or resigning, uh, having lost, lost that surety. What's, what's got you making a different choice? What's got you staying in? Okay. Thank you. Um, you know, it may seem like it's been seamless, but of course, like you like you indicated, it hasn't been seamless for me. As I mentioned to you, I've been called in twice about things I've written to make sure that I'm okay. Um, I've lost a calling. Uh, the first time I was called in, I was on the state guy council and our state president said, I'm very sorry, but I've been told that I have to release you from the state guy council, which was, you know, felt like a real loss to me. I was enjoying it and fortunate for me. He said, but I'm going to keep you in the call, all the callings that you have, and I want you to continue to still speak with the high counselors on, on you know, the designated, designated Sunday. Uh, he was quite upset, and, I, and he understood where I came from. But I've, over the years, one thing that's made it easier for me is that other people have helped me. Uh, when I was going on a mission, I've related this on another podcast and in my book, too. But, you know, my friends had all gone. I was 20 years old. I was still not off on a mission. Our bishop called in the end and said, what's the matter? How come you're not going on a mission? And I said, you know, I, I don't have that firm testimony. I can't go out and tell people I know that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. I just, I don't have that kind of knowledge that I can go out and bear my testimony in that way. And he said, uh, well, what do you think about Christ? And we talked about that, and I was okay with that, of course, uh, Jesus and so forth. He said, well, I'll, I'll get you sent to Japan, and uh, you can convert people to Christianity. Well, that gave me a way to stay. You know, if it hadn't been for him helping me, I might be gone. Who knows? Uh, you know, but, uh, so that's one thing that's helped me is along the way I've had I had leaders and others who have helped me. My state president, when I went to get a temple recommend, uh, one time said, I told him my situation. He said, oh, Jeff, you have more of a testimony than you believe. Here's the, here's the recommend, <laughs> you know. So um, to have those kind of people in your life help a lot. But I think another thing that helps is to not do anything precipitously. Anytime an issue arises, just step back, wait, 
see what happens. Talk to others before you make some sort of, you know, jumping off a cliff and causing a lot of damage to yourself and others. And that's another thing that's helped me to, to stay. And, and another thing is to make that choice. Eventually you have to make a choice. Okay, I'm going to do this. Or, no, I'm not going to do this. And then your life will be easier once you've made that choice because then you can begin to find ways to make it work for you. So there's lots of things. And again, I would suggest uh, people get my book and read a couple of those chapters in about how to, how to manage your loss of belief, how to manage your decision to stay. Uh, and that, uh, you might find something in there that would be helpful too. You know, each, each piece of that that you were speaking to, I'm just sitting here in my mind and running through my own faith journey and just uh, in my mind saying amen to every one of those. I, I'm glad that I took my time at, at certain points. I'm glad that I made a choice. I'm, I'm grateful that uh, these things you're speaking about today, I think are just so important for those who are perhaps having a hard time or who have encountered difficult issues for the first time. And all of a sudden, I, you know, you and I know how this feels. You, you, you think you got a hold of the way something's done or the way something works or the way something's to be understood. And, and all of a sudden you encounter some new piece of information and everything you thought you could you could hold firm to is is now a mess again um and it is it's complex and it's tough but i just so appreciate the book again we're today we're talking with jeff burton author of the book for those who wonder uh jeff i uh i know that you spoke recently at a conference that was titled navigating the borderlands which has a lot to do with the articles that you write and and the topic that you spoke on specifically was uh, staying in the church and making it work. And I know we're hitting on this, you know, several questions today. But but maybe if you just want to give us a brief summary of what uh, that talk, what that talk was about, and and maybe some of the one or two, three main points that uh, you tried to make in it. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised they were having this conference, and I was asked to talk talk on the subject of staying in the church and making it work. Uh, there was another person there who was talking on an opposite uh, uh, subject, uh, stay, uh, uh, leaving the church and, ma- and making it work. And so, um, I, I, you know, I thought to myself, I wonder if anybody will show up here. And lo and behold, the church was full of people. They had to open up the door so they could get into the, you know, the amusement area and, or the, the, the adjacent areas. And there were three or four hundred people there. It was pretty incredible. But uh, I, I had ten principles or something that I went over with with the group. I had about fifty minutes to speak, and um, I'm going to make this into a column, by the way. And my next column, incidentally, will be of interest to you, Bill, because my next column in the Sunstone magazine called "Braving the Borderlands." The next column is going to be uh, is is the story of a current bishop who's in the borderlands and how he is dealing with his calling as a bishop at the same time that he feels like himself, that he's in the borderlands, has questions and doubts and so forth. And I think you'll find it very, very interesting. He's a very successful bishop. He's doing a great Thank job in his ward. And, uh, of course, we can't give his name in the column because something might happen. But uh, right. Yeah, I look forward to it. That sounds cool. Yeah, the very next column after that, uh, which I'm writing now, is going to be based on these staying principles uh, uh, and so we'll see. By the way, uh, those Borderland columns are also available on my website for download. Uh, just go to forthosewhowonder.com and you can take, download my book or you can download any of the 50 columns that I've written. But anyway, the, some of the things that are in these principles I, I think are pretty pretty obvious. Uh, the first thing is, you know, uh, do a self-assessment. Where am I? 
and then uh, we periodically uh, do this. Be honest with yourself and make a list. Uh, write out a list of the things that you believe and you don't believe and where you are and so forth. And um, that also buys time for you so you can make intelligent, rational decisions rather than running, jumping off a cliff, as I say. Um, then the second item was to make a decision. Okay, once you've made the decision, then you can go forward. You have to then manage your, your loss of belief. Develop a model for your religious life. These are the kind of things I've talked about already, but they're the same kind of principles. But one new thing that I haven't talked about is that you have to find new motivations for yourself to stay. One of the greatest motivations that most Mormons feel is kind of one based on fear. If I don't pay my tithing, I'm going to have, I mean, the Lord's going to take away what I have and make things bad for me. Or, you know, if I, if I don't adhere to the word of wisdom, I'm going to get sick. And so that fear motive, uh, the fear motivation kind of disappears once you begin to question and doubt and wonder if these things actually happen that way. So you'll have to find other motivations, like I do it because of my love for Jesus or Christ, or I do it because of my love for other people or for my family, all the uh, other, other kinds of motivations, which we have, but sometimes are not going to be fear-based. Well, that, that's another principle. Um, and then you've got to, the next thing deals with how to, you have to determine how your new personal religious models can affect significant others in your life. And make sure that you haven't disrupted your spouse, your children, your friends, other ward members, those your friends, that kind of thing. And, uh, and you have to make sure that in doing whatever you do that you maintain your relationships. Make them equal or better than the ones that you have now. And this, another one, I think another principle is that we have to try to find, try to fit into the definitions of LDS acceptability. Yes, we'd like those boundaries to expand, to accept us as we are. And I think we're seeing that. I, it, 20 years ago, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you that somebody said it's okay to doubt and still be active. And yet we've heard it over the pulpit from general conference that this is acceptable. So, but we have a responsibility too to try to be as acceptable. You know, where you can go along, go along. Try to fit in as best you can. Another principle is to try to be open and honest with others, but in a tactful, loving way. We don't need to rush out and tell everybody every little problem we have, and uh, because it can be disturbing to others, so we we have to be honest. But uh, you know, I go along with kind of the principle of need to know. How much does this person need to know about me, uh, so that they'll at least know where I'm coming from, and I won't be deceptive. But on the other hand, you know, they don't need to know necessarily that I that I don't believe in polygamy or whatever it is, um, and uh, I don't believe in polygamy in the afterlife. Okay, I don't need to tell people that because it's not important. They don't need to know that. And finally, the last principle is to, to get help. I wouldn't be where I am without the help, help of great bishops and great stake presidents and friends who have helped me see myself as I am and see what I need to do and find ways of being acceptable and finding ways of going along. So anyway, those 10 principles are the ones I talked about at the conference, and again, I'll have them expanded on in detail in the next borderline column. Great. Looking forward to that, and uh, and so appreciate uh, those thoughts, Jeff, because again, I mean, this this podcast and your website and the, the book and the Braving the Borderland articles, all of these things are designed to, to help Latter-day Saints who, who find themselves in this faith transition. And, and again, as we both know, that can be a really tough time. I, uh, 
I wanted to hit on, I know in another interview that you did, you talked a little bit about your interaction with, um, with some top level leaders. And I want to ask the question this way. Many of us as Latter-day Saints who are kind of in these borderlands, we wonder what the church thinks of us. What, uh, what do the brethren think about you and me and others who are like us? And I get emails from time to time from listeners to the podcast who say, Hey, is the church giving you any flack on this episode? Has anybody said anything about, you know, when you covered this idea? And, uh, and so people obviously are curious about that. They're interested. They want to know whether, whether the kind of Latter-day Saint that, uh, that they are and, and, and trying to be genuine, whether that's acceptable to the brethren. And we've already talked about Elder Holland and Elder Uchtdorf expressing a level of acceptance with that. But any thoughts from you on your experience with uh, with general authorities? And you can be as specific or as broad as you want, um, but I really enjoyed the story you shared in another interview, and, and at least that one, if not uh, maybe some, some others, if you've got anything else you want to share. Okay, thanks. Uh, my experience over the years is that, again, you know, we know what the we know what the boundaries are, and we talked about those four particular issues uh, that could get you in trouble, challenging authority and preaching false doctrine and so forth. But um, my feeling is that uh, the farther up you go and on along the line, the more understanding people are. Uh, when I went went on my last mission, um, I had some issues uh, that I had to deal with with the bishop. You know, well, you haven't been this and you haven't been doing that. And are you really are you really worthy to go on a mission and so forth? And I don't blame the bishop. And this guy was my bishop was a great guy, but he was doing what he thought he was supposed to do. And so, um, you know, we wrote to the I wrote downtown to the first presidency. You know, a question about you know, am I will am I acceptable as a missionary? And of course. Uh, Elder Boyd K. Packer, I mean, pe- people think of him as being kind of a hardliner. He's the one that called my bishop and said, look, this is fine, don't worry about it, let's go. And so I uh, went over to the stake president and I told him, you know, I don't really have a firm testimony of the, of the you know, like others have. I don't know, I can't know. And he said, oh, you're no different than anybody else. He signed the papers and I'm way well out So. And when I got down and I was working at church headquarters, and I had a chance to talk to some folks, and they were perfectly happy with me. Nobody had any concern whatsoever when I was down. And like you say, you know, I received last summer a letter from one of the apostles actually thanking me for writing the book for those who wonder and said that he regularly read the Borderlands column. And so... Um, he asked me, he put on there, not for publication, so I'm not sure I should mention his name, but uh, um, it certainly has been helpful to me if anybody gives me any static. Now I can just show them a the letter and I, if I'm quickly rehabilitated in their minds as to whether I'm an acceptable Mormon or not. But no, I, I do think that uh, our leaders understand where we, and I'm talking about you know those of us who are struggling with testimony issues, struggling with doubting, struggling with questions, that they perfectly well understand this, and they are trying to make it easier for us to be active, faithful members. There's a sorry. There's a, one other experience I wanna I wanna hit on that I know you've shared, uh, and it's a story of, of a time when you were teaching in priesthood. Do you know do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, when I was a high priest group teacher. Yes, and I wondered if you might share that because I think that speaks to the idea too of of the brethren being open to to working with those who have questions and doubts and still trying to make sure that that those brethren are able to participate fully in their wards. Okay, uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, I uh, one time uh, was our high priest group instructor, one of them, and I taught on a, every other Sunday or something like that, and I was open with people, you know, I but I also brought in things from outside 
you know, the lesson materials. They were interesting, but they were still supportive. I mean, I never did anything that was negative or anti-lesson uh, material. But um, one one time when we were talking about it, there was a lesson on testimony or something. I just mentioned to the brother in, the, in, a, in my high priest group that, um, you know, I, I don't have a firm, hard-knowing testimony. I'm, I'm a faithful member, but I don't I don't know for sure. And uh, about a week later or a few days later, my high priest to group leader came to our house and said, Jeff, I'm afraid we can't have you teaching the uh, high priest anymore. Well, why not? Because in the instruction manual here, it says that instructors are to have a, uh, a firm testimony of the gospel. And he, he interpreted that to mean, uh, you know, you got to know that the church is true kind of thing. Uh, I was okay with it, you know, I understood this is a fine man, uh, I respected him, and I realized he was just going by the book. Uh, my wife wasn't quite so easy on him, uh, she was upset, but uh, I, I wrote a letter to the, down to the First Presidency again, and I mean, they know who I am. Uh, I've written so many times, and they, they know what, what to expect from me, and I told them my experience, and the response I got back was, uh, we will submit your suggestion to the committee who is revising that particular manual, um, handbook of instructions uh, manual. Oh, wait, you know, they didn't say they make any changes. They just said we will we, we will ship your comments over to a committee that's revising. Well, about a year later, the book came out, and I looked in there to see if it was, and and, and it had changed. The the new requirements for um, for instructors now were that. A member in good standing, you know, those kind of comments, but nothing dealing with whether or not you have a knowing testimony. Now, I don't know whether my my letter had any influence on that or whether there lots of people made comments or what, but I do find that over the years that my letters and my discussions with our leaders has made a difference, and uh, and they have listened. And sometimes I've found out that you know, I was off by base. And sometimes uh, we say, yes, that's not like a good thing. We'll take that under advisement or make a change. Um, I don't know if we have time. Could I relate one experience I had while I was on my mission? Please. Um, I was on, in Japan, and we were having an issue with new missionaries coming out. And I won't go into details. In fact, I've got it written up in a chapter in my book and, you know, um, about the particular experience. But um, I was concerned about a particular issue, and, and I was kind of taking the responsibility on myself. And so we, I was waiting in church one day, and people were streaming in. You know, I was just sitting there. Uh, you could hear all the talk and people saying hello to each other and, you know, so forth. So I'm meeting and starting. And I bowed my head to say a little prayer, you know, what, what can I do about this? And all of a sudden, the room seemed to go quiet, just like my, uh, I lost my hearing. And then I heard a voice say, follow the president, in kind of a authoritative and kind voice. And then all the sound came back, and nobody had heard the voice but me. And I thought to myself, wow, I, something, I heard something that tell me to follow the president. I, this was a directly like an answer to the prayer. What do I do about this problem? And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's not my problem. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm involved in the problem, but it's not my choice to be making that choice. So I didn't take the uh, message to mean just shut up and let other people deal with this. I took the message to mean get some information to the president of our mission and let him deal with it. So I wrote him a letter outlining what I saw and what I thought maybe we could do and so forth and so on. And in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, I get a note from him saying, oh, thank you, I've been wondering about that myself, and uh, I think we're going to do something. And pretty soon a new program was in place, and I was part of it, and it was kind of an interesting experience. Now, you know that uh, from what I've said that I'm a skeptic. I don't know if these, you know, that 
particular message came from God or whether it was my right brain telling my left brain to cool it or, or, or whether it was just my imagination. But I've kind of let that message lead my way through everything that I do. If I have problems, I don't hesitate to go to the bishop and say, you know, here's a problem I, I see, or the state president or the general authorities. But you have to do it in a tactful, kind of way and you have to be willing to take their responses. Uh, you have to be willing to follow the president if you're going to use that particular technique. So I found that useful in my own in my own uh, journey as, as a as a non-knowing, faithful member of the church. That's beautiful. And, and one of the other things, maybe just a kind of a side note as you shared that, I, I often am scared of when I open up to people and share a little more about me and, and that I don't have this absolute surety, what I, what I fear and what has happened a few times is that people make the assumption, oh, you haven't had any spiritual experiences. And in reality, maybe just to go along with the experience you just shared, I, I don't think it's fair to assume that those who have doubt or who have something less than a perfect knowledge, that they're not having any interactions with the Holy Ghost or not feeling what we would call the Spirit. And uh, and I think we ought to be careful of that. And uh, I think your experience speaks to that, that each of us um, may or may not have different experiences and that may or may not impact whether we know the gospel is true or not. And that there's so much diversity from member to member that to simply line people up in kind of a black and white dichotomy and say, oh, he has doubts, therefore this must be exactly the kind of person he is and, and this must be the things he's done, I think is totally unfair. And so I appreciate the story on that level as well. Yes, I agree. Uh, we have to be careful. I, I do see some changes in the attitudes of people uh, compared to what it was 20, 30 years ago. People are more open. and I think our leaders are leading us in that direction, and I hope it will continue. Hey, uh, why don't uh, – I know that um, it's kind of big right now, obviously, with the Internet and everything else that's going on, for everybody to have a blog and kind of post every day or every week what they're doing. Um, and I know, obviously, you've got a website, and you do have the articles that come out. Uh, braving the borderlands, but uh, why not the the continual interaction through a blog? You know, I really admire people like you, Bill, and, and John and others who support these uh, blogs. It's just that I haven't found that I have the patience maybe for it. <laughs> it just seems so hard, but I, I hope people, you know, I, on my own website, it started out as a blog, but it didn't last very long, maybe a week. I just couldn't, um, I couldn't somehow deal with it. But I apologize to people, and I do want them to know, I want the people who are listening to know that if they want to get in contact with me, they can contact me through regular channels of email or telephone or whatever, even letters. Occasionally, I still get a letter from someone. But, um, yeah, I but I, I really admire what you're doing, and I think it's great, and I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to be on your podcast and others, too. Thank you. Is uh, is the future bright for people like you and me? I think it is. Um you know, we we will see setbacks, and there'll be questions, and what will happen with John Berlin? I don't know. Uh, we don't know the details, and so we can't really judge. But we'll we'll soon find out what impact it may have on us and others uh, for the long term. But I do see a, a brighter future based on my experiences of the last few years with our with uh, with our authorities downtown and so forth. So I think I think we're in pretty good shape. So remind us again, uh, where can people find your website, Jeff? Uh, for those who wonder. It's just for those who wonder. dot com. It's all one long word, and you know, no hyphens or underscores or anything like that. And um, it has my book page you can download. 
uh, or you can uh, you can get the borderland column from there too. And there's some other things. I have a few um, podcast copies and things that people could listen. Excellent. And uh, and I know that having downloaded uh, I think it was a, a conference or something that you spoke at. I enjoyed that as well. And so I I plead for the the listeners to take a look at Jeff's website for those who wonder dot com. Uh, check out his book uh, under the same uh, same title. And uh, the Braving the Borderland uh, articles, I really love, uh, Jeff, if only because it's an opportunity to not only hear your your voice kind of come through, but also to get the personal stories of lots of members in the church. The, the biggest concern I have for those who go through a difficult faith transition is that they might be the only person in their ward who's dealing with those questions. And often it's really easy to feel alone and to feel kind of marginalized by the fact that you're different than everybody else. Uh, articles such as yours and, and your book and, and other resources that are out there, I think the biggest thing they do is to help people know that it's a bigger group than they think and they're not alone out there. Yes, well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my calls are just chock full of the experiences of other people, and we try to learn from them both the successes and uh, hopefully temporary failures that people have had as they've tried to you know, stay stay with within the acceptable group but maybe along the borders of it. Yep, no, I appreciate that. Uh, Jeff Burton, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and uh, really appreciate you giving us some of your time. My pleasure. Oh